This episode is brought to you by Summer School Electronics. With pedals like the Snow Day Delay, the Pep Rally Fuzz, the Trash Panda, and my personal favorite, the Science Fair, which is two classic dirt pedals in one with a mid-boosted overdrive on one side, a black lab rat circuit on the other, and a blend knob to blend between them to find the perfect classic stacked dirt sound you're looking for, it's hard not to find something you'll love. Mark builds all of his pedals by hand in Syracuse, New York, where he also works as a full-time educator. In addition to the super fun graphics on their pedals, Mark also offers custom artwork. Want your dog's face on a pedal? He can do it. Want your face on a pedal? He can make that happen too. Go over to summerschoolelectronics.com and make sure to tell them that 40 Watt Podcast sent you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Another episode, 40 Watt Podcast. Super excited to get started. I think I say that every week. I think I say super excited. I'm just an excitable person. Y'all know that guy who always puts like, not multiple exclamation marks, but there's an exclamation mark at the end of every sentence in an email or a text message. That's me. I'm that guy. I've realized that. I'm trying to learn to embrace the period instead of the exclamation mark. But anyway, I am super excited because I'm an excitable person to be back with y'all. Hopefully, uh, y'all are doing well. Everybody's nice and healthy and, and playing gigs or you know doing whatever it is you do and enjoying life. Uh, you've already heard at the top of the show, uh, if you are interested in helping making this podcast happen, uh, you can join our Patreon, where as little as $3 a month, you can get this uh, podcast without the ads. I know ads are annoying. I totally get it. I skip past ads and podcasts too, but you know what? They help pay bills around here. So if you want the episode with no ads, um, you can go over to Patreon, $3 a month. You'll get this episode, zero ads. If you go for $5 a month, you'll get this episode plus extra content every episode uh, with my guests. Sometimes it's not with my guests. Sometimes it was some random person I pulled in because maybe my guests had limited time and they just did, they couldn't do a Patreon episode as well. So I just pull somebody else and we do something totally different. You never know. It's a lot of fun. There's a big backlog that's starting to develop of Patreon episodes. Uh, so you get access to all of those and you get to help make this show happen. And I really appreciate it. And I'll read your name at the end of episodes, which is really fun. Uh, or if you know, you don't want your name read at the end of episode, put that in the note when you become a Patreon and I'll leave you out. Um, Anyway, I digress. Uh, gonna move on now. Uh, so this week, uh, for you guitar players, sorry, we're not talking. Well, we might not be talking guitar gear. We might. Who knows? You know, we'll go all over the place. I've got Tyler from Alder Audio. How are you, Tyler? I'm doing well. Excited to be here. Yeah, dude. I'm glad we we've been we've been chatting in email, trying to make line this up for a little while now, and um, it hasn't helped that this year has been the busiest professional year of my life in my day job. And so, like, there was a point where just, like, I had to just, all the juggling with the podcast, I had to go, I don't have time for this. So then I was like, I went radio silent for a hot minute. Well, this but, is a um, substantial podcast to run with a full-time job, so uh, respect there. Yeah, it's, it's you know, I wouldn't do it if I didn't enjoy it, because it, it, it's, yeah. it's not, you know, this isn't how I make my living. I just do this because I like talking to people and getting to getting to hear about stories and gear and the music and, and things that are going on and who knows? Sometimes we talk about guitar, sometimes we don't. 
Usually we do, but uh, I feel more and more, especially with the return guests, who knows what we're going to talk about at any given moment. Sure. Um, but on that note, uh, so you are coming to us. This is a, a slightly different. You're actually the second microphone company that's been on the show. I'm super excited because I get I get geeked about microphones. I can't afford to be a microphone guy, but <laughs> I get geeked about microphones and they get they get expensive fast. We talked about that on a past episode. So you have Alder Audio. So let's uh, give everyone a frame of reference. Who are you? How'd you get into doing what you're doing? What's your story? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, well, Alder, for one, is just a super tiny mic company. I'm the only full-time person. And uh, I make one model of ribbon mic in two versions. And so it's a it's a very streamlined company. And it's it's pretty yeah. new. So I've been doing this about a year and a half. And, oh, wow. um yeah, yeah, no, it's quite new. And um, uh, so I am, I'm a chemist by training, uh, but I've always been a guitar player, home studio guy, singer, all that kind of stuff. And uh, my dad also, like, I grew up with him running a small business. And so it was like a manufacturing deal. So I was like, you know, riveting things together in high school and stuff like that. And so I got this hodgepodge background of music and recording and industry and, you know, uh, uh uh, small business and uh, I'm a big tinkerer. So I've, I've done tons of tinkery projects. And there was one day where I was like, you know, I'm going to try to build a ribbon mic. And I got kind of got the bug for it. And um, any project I do, I'm kind of a project person where like, I don't start at like entry level, you know, like oh, if I'm yeah. going to do a project, I, I go straight to like hard mode, you know? So my first ribbon mic, I was like, no, I'm not going to do a kit. I'm not going to do an a common design like i'm going to design an entirely new ribbon microphone from scratch as my first ribbon microphone <laughs> and that's just the way i am and yeah, uh I get it. but it it actually like worked out shockingly well it like uh, i made it and it was like wow this 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 uh has some interesting you know potential to it and then i spent about a year still you know working chemistry and, and developing this idea didn't really plan on starting a business but they were just getting better and better and better and uh, there were just a lot of different reasons where it was like, you know, I'm going to take a jump here and try to create this. And so I quit the job, you know, launched launch the company. In the process, I got a patent on the ribbon mic. So it's like a totally oh, original it. design, has some cool, cool patented features inside of it. Uh -huh. And um, I decided to launch the whole company on like a direct sale model. So, you know, if you hear about ribbon microphones, you always hear super pricey and fragile you know, right. is, is what comes to mind, but people love them on, on a lot of stuff, especially guitar cabs and drum overheads and stuff like that. But yeah. my goal from the start is I was, I could have gone for the high end of the market, but I was like, those aren't my people, you know, like, uh, like I, I had a drummer I was working with and he, he was like, you know, make, make it in our price range, you know, us, us right. folks. And that's what gets me going. So I, kind of design the whole thing from the ground up of like how can i take an entirely u.s made really great ribbon microphone and bring it down into like a home studio budget and so for reference you know like the the one everybody knows you got the royer you know r121 is like right like uh, i don't know what they're going for now 1400 or something like that yeah they've, they've crept up there over the last couple of years yeah and so i launched and i have stayed so far at 400 bucks um that's, so, uh, in, that's intense for a ribbon microphone yeah, well, and there's a lot of them out there, and 
it's detailed on on why there's a span and it's hard to make a good one for cheap but a big thing is the direct thing is like i decided i want to do this like small volume and so i'm a lot like a lot of the other makers you have on the podcast like i i listen to the podcast and you know you've got these guitar builders that are like one-man shops and stuff like that and so i'm a lot like that with ribbon microphones yeah yeah that's I, i think something like a ribbon microphone um it was like, I, I can't remember. I was having a conversation. I can't remember if it was on this podcast or if it was with just some friend just talking about it, talking about the concept. They were talking about guitars, but they were talking about the fact that at some point they had this epiphany moment where they were like, oh, if there's a guitar, someone had to build it. They don't just <laughs> appear like there's not a robot just stamping out guitars somewhere. Uh, that someone had to build it. And I think microphones kind of fall into that category for a lot of people in the in the music industry that like, sure. oh, there's someone building these microphones. Uh, whether it's a, it. you know, yeah, whether it's a big process, like a big assembly line, I'm like, I'm sure at, at Sure or, you know, some AKG mm-hmm. or some of the other bigger companies where I'm sure there's like a massive team and assembly line. And I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not deriding that at all. Um, but you know, a lot of these smaller companies like, like you with Alder Audio, you know, there's somebody in there assembling each of these little, each of these microphones. Mm -hmm. Um, and especially that's true with ribbons because ribbons are like a very physical thing. Like other mics might be a lot, very circuitry dependent. And yeah. I I compare building a good ribbon microphone to like building a good acoustic guitar. It's about geometry and material selection and all that stuff. So we'll be right back. This podcast is supported in part by String Joy Strings. I'm a snob, at least that's what people tell me. I'm never okay with good enough, and that's where String Joy Strings come in. They're better than good enough. They're the best. Stranger are making some of the finest strings available today right up the road from me in Nashville, Tennessee. They offer custom sets, balanced tension, coded strings, the works. If you need it, they can probably make it happen. You should be using Stringjoy strings, and if you're going to order from them, you really could help this podcast out by clicking the affiliate link down in the description or show notes below. You get amazing strings, I get a little bit of that back to help the show keep going. It's a win-win situation. Get your Stringjoy strings today. Yeah, it's it's a it's a microphone I've actually not had a ton of experience with. Even in my audio engineering program in college, um, it was just a microphone. We didn't, you know, mm-hmm. you give a bunch of college students a microphone and then tell them, <laughs> "Hey, don't put phantom power on this. What's going to yep. happen? I mean, yep. you already know where this is going. So there just weren't a whole bunch of them available, and so they've always been sort of a mystery to me, like. I've yeah. used a handful of them over the years. I've never owned one. I've nope. never like consistently used one, even in my audio engineering gigs. It was always, um, to be honest, for live sound, it was always uh, dynamic cardioid or super cardioid or hypercardioid mm-hmm. and uh, uh, small diaphragm condensers. That's where most of my work has been because most of my experience is live audio. Um not a, not a lot of large diaphragm condensers on live stages unless you're doing bluegrass and that's a whole other thing. Sure. But, um, yeah. yeah. But so I ribbon microphones that, are this big mystical thing. 
I think that a lot of people see him that way. I mean, and they were kind of that way to me because if, if you're into recording at all, everybody's like, well, get a dynamic and get a condenser. And then you've got at least got your bases covered. And the ribbon right. is always this kind of like, oh yeah, there's also this other category over here. And they're kind of specialized <laughs> and whatnot. And I was always told that ribbons are dark and colored, you know, that they're not very, and very natural sounding. Yeah. And what, what I learned over time, because I got curious about it. My, my first entry was, I got like a, a cheap Chinese one. So it was like an MXL ribbon mic. It was like a hundred oh, yeah. bucks and they have really bad transformers and their ribbons are bent a lot of times and stuff, but it does get you the quote warmth of the, the ribbon sound. Like you get that, but it is quite dark and colored. And I mean, you basically could only use it in very specific circumstances. And right. one of my mysteries was like, okay, like, well, if the ribbon is so colored and, and off and dark, like why are ribbons super, super popular in like pro recording studios? Why you know, are I, they always referenced? Like yeah, so, everyone yeah. talks about. Yeah. Like the, the 121 is like, it won a Grammy, yeah. you know? <laughs> right. The, that, and it's the 121 and 57, like, there's mm-hmm. a guy, I, I think it's just a guy, I don't think it's like a company, maybe it is a company, that literally makes a mount that puts a 121 uh-huh, yep. and a 57 in the exact position for so that you can get, you know, proper recording and, and uh, the 3-1 the ratio, all that kind of stuff. Like, they make a mount. That microphone is so ingrained. If it's so dark and so colored and it's so problematic, why are they so so revered? Yeah, they're loved. And what I found yeah. out is that there's a big delineation between crappy ribbon mics and proper ribbon mics. And uh, so I, the first good ribbon mic that I ever tried was one I built. Like I didn't, I didn't have oh, wow. the money to go buy a expensive one. And no. uh, but uh, a, a really big piece is the transformer that's in there. Like uh, that's a huge part of the design. And just various things that you could do with the design. It's really hard to make a good one that's cheap. And so I think that that's why ribbons get this funky reputation. Like there's these kind of uh, crown jewel ribbon mics that are really popular in Nashville. And then there's these like comments about dark colored, weird mics. And uh, it's been a learning thing for me to, to make them and learn where they fit. Um, But I wanted to make a good one and, and make it reachable. So. You know, to, to put it into to more guitar player terms, it's sort of like the way um, uh, for big. It, it, I'm not a I'm not a super delay like freak as far as like sounds and guitar until I discovered tape delay, and once I discovered tape delay, I went way down the rabbit hole. In fact, I've got some YouTube videos that we're recording this in late October. Uh, whenever y'all see this, the videos may already be out. Uh, working on some videos, really delving into the whole tape delay thing. Okay. Um, and it was like you'd buy a pedal and it's like, oh, it mimics a tape delay. It does the same thing. It's like, oh, it's warbly and it's dark. Then you mm. play a real tape delay with good tape in it. And you're like, this isn't really that dark. Yeah. It's actually pretty bright. Yeah. Um, why do all these pedals sound dark? And so it's like even with a ribbon microphone, maybe, maybe it is with, you know, naturally darker. They may not necessarily have to be. Yeah. And in ribbons, is, is that a case? Can they be brighter? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, and mine specifically is pretty bright for a ribbon mic. I mean, it's not a bright mic, yeah. but it's very neutral. Yeah. Um, the weird thing about mine is that the primary design 
sounds different from the front versus the back and the front is designed for vocals and so it's it's uh, okay. i mean it's, it's a great singing mic and then the back is great for like guitar cabs and stuff but um you know i think that ribbons get the reputation that they kind of all sound in one category you know yeah and it's it's like saying you know oh yeah that's a single coil guitar you know, it's like, it's this massive, there's a huge amount of design variation that you can have inside of how to build a ribbon mic. And they can sound vastly different from each other. But yeah. people are like, oh, it's a ribbon mic. And uh, they don't realize that there are quite dark ones, like a Coles, if you've ever heard that name. The Coles is yeah. a pretty dark colored mic, all the way yeah. up to, you know, there's a guy out here in Detroit, Masonovic, that makes like a very bright uh, ribbon mic specifically designed to be kind of a little crispy even. And so, oh wow, yeah. Yeah, Coles seem like, and I'm, I'm purely going on YouTube videos because that's what we do. We talk in terms of YouTube at this point. Um, they seem to be like the soup du jour lately. Like everybody's got okay. a Coles. And, and so I've, I've seen that a lot. Uh, Andrew Masters has them on his channel a lot. And yeah. I think I just saw where uh, Rhett Scholl posted a video He's with uh, with uh, Mary Spender. And Mary's actually singing into a Coles. I'm pretty sure it was a Coles. Oh, wow. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm if I'm wrong, someone please correct me gently. Um, I didn't see the brand name, but the design is very unique for Coles. Like they have a very distinctive yeah. look. Yeah, so and I, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. I've never used a Coles, but I know them quite well because, like, like I said, I came from a scientific background, right? You know, chemistry right. nerd guy. Went deep when I designed ribbons. I went deep into the science <laughs> stuff. You know, I was looking like I was listening to physics lectures on like how the sound deflects around stuff, and I read old patents and uh, oh, that really? kind of stuff. And the beautiful thing about the Coles is that it was actually that design was developed by the BBC. And the BBC has these technical bulletins that they've now made public record. And so you really? can go back and read like the technical report from the engineer who was working on designing the Coles microphone, what is now the Coles microphone, in like That's 1954 cool. on like what they were discovering and what they were measuring and why they made the design, you know, choices they did. And so I read a bunch of those technical bulletins while while designing this microphone. Yeah, that's that's delving in pretty deep. You know, a lot of people like. For example, like a lot of pedal builders, I'm not throwing shade on you pedal builders out there who listen to this, um, but, you know, a lot of them just jump in and build a fuzz. They don't understand why the components do what they do. They just know that, oh, well, you put these like this and they make the fuzz sound. Yeah. Like they just and that's do a good this. time. Yeah. It's like. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's definitely a party, but yeah, it's uh, there's but there's a difference in uh, getting drunk and then understanding the science of uh uh, alcohol as it enters the bloodstream yeah. and how it affects the brain. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, there's there's sure. a big difference there. Uh, so something we ought to, we ought to mention. Um, and again, I don't have super experience with, with uh, ribbon microphones, but you, you referenced it, the two sides of the microphone by design, ribbon microphones are always figure eight or can they not be? It's possible to make them not figure eight. There's just a few of them out there that aren't. But okay. by by their nature, they they're naturally figure eight. So you've got to kind of design around. You got to do some funky design things to make them not figure eight. So the vast majority are figure eight, and uh, there are a few out there that sound different from the front and the back. Royer actually sounds different from the front and the back, but uh, they do it different ways. So what Royer did is they took the ribbon and they moved it like to the front of the magnets. So you got, it's a strip of super thin aluminum foil between two magnets. Right. That's kind of your element. 
and like they they kind of shifted that ribbon forward for SPL handling because they were like you know because the ribbon gets blown back past the the, right. the magnets and so they're like well we can crank it you know louder if we move this forward and then they found out oh now it sounds different from the front versus the back and uh and then they got a patent on that and it's been a long time but so it's known to do that whole thing but what i did mm-hmm. in mine is is quite different so i have a whole like geometry inside that's that's unique and part of the patent that makes the the front sound different from the back in a little different way that's why the front is good for vocals yeah so and that's what makes them so different and and that's where the the reference to the fragility of ribbon microphones comes from is mm-hmm. that it is literally a a piece of aluminum suspended mm-hmm. um it's uh there's so one of the things that that has become a peeve of mine um, because it was so impressed on me in school is people who blow on microphones to see if they're working. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's like, don't do that. Please, please yeah. do not. Do- yeah. You can literally destroy a ribbon microphone by blowing on the microphone. Um, yeah. most, most ribbons. Yeah. Supposedly there's some that are more durable than others. There's even a couple now that, uh, can take a uh, phantom power and not completely disintegrate. Um, yeah. Um, I've seen those. I, yeah. I don't know how that works. Yeah, the I, Phantom Power. I assume yours honestly, don't like Phantom Power. No, so you can. I've got a. I got a video on my YouTube channel where I actually uh, drop the mic, and and then I turn Phantom Power on and off. I blast it on the mic, and then I talk into it, and it still works. And so I did a lot of work on the durability of of my mic. Um, Phantom Power is actually these days less of a concern. Mm-hmm. So. For oh, the really? most part, you're That's not going to blow a ribbon with phantom power these days, unless the one. This is a little technical, but the one place you're going to do it is if you got a patch bay and you plug in a quarter inch, um, because you can briefly like short the phantom power, which you don't want to ever do anyway with any mic. If you do that, yeah. you'll blow the ribbon. But otherwise, gotcha. uh, otherwise, phantom power on most modern ribbon mics is okay, um, but you don't need it. But um, and then yeah. the durability wise. Uh, that that was that's probably the biggest part of my patent so i uh all all ribbons are corrugated because they need to be stretchy you know you can't just put flat aluminum foil in there and and it wouldn't wouldn't really move yeah exactly and it so it needs that stretchiness and so you you run it through like a pair of gears to to make a corrugation in it and um i happen to be like deep into 3d printing so uh you know i do all that modeling and printing and stuff like that and build prototypes and uh, in 3D printing, there's this really common thing called herringbone gears. It's a set of gears that are like the teeth are like angled to each other. Like all you got to do oh, is yeah. Google it and you'll see it immediately. It's called herringbone gears. And I was like, these are really interesting. I wonder if I can corrugate uh, a ribbon element with these. And so I, uh, I corrugated a ribbon and now it has a double bend in it. Like it looks like a set of V's going up the ribbon instead of like lines. Yeah. And a double bend, it's kind of like if you imagine a piece of paper that was bent and, you know, folded in two axes at the same time, like it, it adds a lot of strength. And uh, so, so, you know, it's still a thin aluminum foil, but it is a little, right. a little more durable than your, your average ribbon. And that's been a fun thing to get to do. That's pretty, it's one of those things that I need, I need to wrap my mind or I need to actually see it <laughs> after we're off sure. of this because... Because it's one of those things. I'm I'm just that person. I need to see it. It's like in my mind oh, is like all kinds my of mind is are. saying one thing. But yeah. it's the the concept of ribbons, and it's funny because uh, I'll, I'll reference because I had them on. Listeners will know I had Lewitt Audio on. Uh, Dan from Lewitt Audio. They don't make a ribbon microphone. That's the one thing they don't make. 
right now mm-hmm. and, and the one thing you do make. So it's, yep. it's really interesting. I, th- I think this is very complimentary uh, microphone companies I've had on at this point. But um, there was a point where like ribbons like became the rage in the speaker world. And maybe they still are. I don't know. For, when I first tweeters. started running live audio. Uh, yeah. Line array systems were becoming the rage. And um, mm-hmm. we had uh, PV put their line array system in the club I was working at. And um, the number of uh, ribbons we blew in those speakers in the first few months as all of us were learning how to use okay. it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it, it, are you talking about a ribbon that goes in the speaker and is used as a tweeter? Because that yeah. that's a thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those. Yeah. I totally get what you're talking about. Yeah. Um. So, you know, those were, Um. I don't know. It's, it's. It's an interesting technology that I, I wish I'd had more time to work work around. Uh, you know, uh, for for listeners, if you ever taken a microphone apart, you know, like me, I like to destroy things because I don't know how to put them back together. Um, it's just destroying things. You know, the way I always describe a microphone to people is I I pretty much just tell them think of a speaker, and it just you know reverse what a speaker's doing. Instead of putting sound mm-hmm. out, it's taking yeah. the pressure in and translating yeah. it into electrical signal. Then there's some things with crystals and magnets and stuff that I don't really understand. <laughs> I'm not going to try to understand. Uh, I, I just need it to work. Uh, ribbons. So there's the suspended ribbon. Yep. The 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 pressure or the you know the the sound is hitting it and mm-hmm. causes it to flex, and that's where the uh, signal is coming from do you find in the reinforcing of the the ribbon that it becomes less sensitive everybody always asks that question and uh yeah i have to I, know i have to yeah. know <laughs> well so you know what's funny is that you know when you're a maker and you have a new idea like you have that positivity bias where you're always like it's gonna be the greatest thing ever you know so yes. I'm like i'm gonna corrugate this ribbon and it's gonna sound so much better because it doesn't have like a a resonant frequency that's the same or something and i i thought i was gonna get this big sound benefit and then i did it right. and i plugged it in and it sounded absolutely the same as the other <laughs> corrugation and uh just zero difference at all and and since then you know now i got a whole like uh uh qc set up with like i frequency sweep every single mic that goes out the door to make sure that it you know it adheres to the standard and right. uh, i've done that back and forth with like the herringbone corrugation and the standard corrugation zero difference between them in the frequency sweep which is a big shocker to me you'd think it would would be different but it's not yeah i definitely so, thought it would be different i, yeah. I definitely thought you'd hear an, an audible difference um but obviously the one thing it does, it, it increases the SPL that it can handle. Um, it it uh, is more rigid. So SPL handling, mm-hmm. like the thing is ribbons like mine generally can ha- handle high SPL. I don't know how to test for it. I'll be honest because you, <laughs> you talk about the SPLs that you actually have to test for. It's like 135 yeah. decibels. Like, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you don't, you don't keep a jackhammer in your studio. <laughs> got to blow the windows <laughs> out of my studio, you know, like uh, how do you, and so, you know, that's really specialized testing. Like I don't, yeah. I don't even know how they do that. If they do it for real or they simulate it, but I'm like, Okay, the real answer. Or they is just the, guess. I'm yeah, guessing. I, I know <laughs> who's who's regulating like the the mic specs, but I'm just like, okay, you know, the SPL handling is 
really stinking loud. That's that's what it is, you know, because it's yeah. it's louder than you're going to need it to be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Can it can it handle a snare drum and a guitar amp? Mm-hmm, Not that you yep. put a ribbon on a snare. I guess you I guess somebody has I've, at some point yeah, or another. I've, I've heard people do it. Yeah. Yeah. So but, you know, if it can handle that and it can handle uh, guitar amps cranked up. Yeah. That's yep. that's really about the loudest you're going to need one. I can't think of something in the average. I'm going to get emails. I recorded a jet engine down at the airport <laughs> and I needed it to handle, you know, 215 decibels at 10 yeah. feet. I don't know. Um, listen, you're not normal if that's what you're doing. Um, <laughs> but in the, the normal home studio environment, the loudest thing anybody's recording is a snare drum or a guitar amp. So if yep. it can handle those things, then you're pretty much, you're pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. I, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so talk about, I'm trying to figure out like, do you have time to be a guitar player anymore? Or are you just building mics all the time? Any? <laughs> well, actually I am way more into music now that I'm building mics because uh, awesome. like uh, it kind of, you know, synergizes with my, my work now because uh, so i was like a, a big player like in high school and stuff like that and i mean i'm i'm definitely like your podcast audience you know it's like uh i i rewire my electric guitars and i did that you know since high school I actually yeah. it's kind of a fun story i my first set of pickups that i wanted to swap was like i think i was a sophomore in high school or something like that i heard about swapping pickups and i'm like okay you know my talking to my dad can we solder these in ourselves you know and uh but i wasn't gonna go for like any regular replacement guitar pickup and so i like scoured the internet and i found about out about bill lawrence pickups have you ever heard of bill yeah bill lawrence does that name yeah so yeah. it's it's confusing because he he worked at various uh companies uh des- like gibson and fenner designing pickups yeah so you'll and- see bill lawrence designed on a lot of pickups yeah, what's confusing is that I think at some point, like somebody got a hold of his brand name. And so there, it was this thing where there are some pickups that are branded Bill Lawrence that aren't Bill Lawrence. But right. anyway, I, I got, I heard about his and he was running an independent pickup shop that they were like, yeah, we're like your international mom and pop shop. And it was like him and his wife and, and uh, really cheap, good pickups. And I was like, these are the ones like, I don't want to buy your standard thing. I'm going to buy this. And I was trying to figure out what I wanted. And so I called to ask a question and Bill yeah. answered the phone. <laughs> and and so I'm talking to this like legendary pickup designer and I'm like, you know, 15 years old. And I can still remember the conversation in my bedroom. He's talking about like eddy currents and impedance. And I've got no idea oh, what he's talking about, but I'm trying to soak in like anything that I can. And the funny thing is now I understand a lot of those things a lot better. And so uh, it's, just, it's just an interesting full circle thing. So I've always been like that, but I didn't choose like the music direction. So, you know, I went to school for chemistry and then I yeah. did all kinds of things. I designed batteries for a while and I designed wire. My last job was glue. So I like formulated <laughs> wow. glues and things like that. Uh, always like product design that has to do with materials, which, you know, is, ribbons are kind of product design that has to do with materials. But now that I'm doing ribbon mics, it's like, you know, hey, well, I'm going to demo this ribbon mic. Like, 
I guess I got to get a better guitar amp, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I got way more excuses to, uh, to do music cause it's related now. And so like I picked up a drum kit and I'm trying to learn a bit cause I just want to relate to people who, who drum that you record and stuff like that. So, yeah. uh, anyway, it's been a big positive thing cause I'm, I'm playing a lot more music now that I'm building ribbon mics. So that's awesome. See, I had, a. I've had a similar experience with this podcast in that I have a lot more gear now than I ever had before I started the podcast. When I was gigging four and five times a week, Mm. I had like two guitars and an amp and a pedal board. And that was all of my gear. Now I gig like four or five times a year and (laughs) have all this gear and it's hard to justify it. Uh, Anyway, that's, that's, that's a cry (laughs) for help. Um, But so, you know, I was that way about gear too. I, I did the same thing with the the pickup swapping rabbit hole. That was a whole thing. Mine was Seymour Duncan. Like first first online forums I was ever part of were the Seymour Duncan user group forums, which I'm still over there occasionally. Okay. I don't talk yeah. as much, mostly reading. And back when Guitar.com had a forum, I know a lot of people were Harmony Central. I never went over to Harmony Central. That was a scary place. Uh, so I, <laughs> I stuck it out on the Guitar.com. Uh, forums. In fact, I'm still friends with a lot of people from that forum to this day. It's real cool. Facebook nice. has helped us stay in touch. Um, but I got really down that rabbit hole too. And, you know, you start to wonder about all the different things and, and microphones were that a rabbit hole that I eventually found my way into, mm. especially when I was in school yeah. uh, and starting to do all this. And uh, I really got obsessed with, uh, with, uh, vintage style mics we never really Mm. so the school that i went to for audio engineering delta state university they have what's called their um uh, delta music institute dmi i know the acronym i can't remember what the acronym stands for delta music i started at mtsu in their recording industry management program and that program was so huge so many people Mm. like they were graduating people that had like a grand total of 16 hours of studio time I'm like, wow. yeah, no, it, it was, I, um, hopefully it's different now, but like when I was there, they actually had to throttle the people going into the upper levels of, into the three and 400 level courses. Like okay. they would yeah. only, they would only let a hundred people every fall move into the upper level courses and 50 people in the spring. And okay. that was them trimming it down. Like wow. even idea of how many students they had. Um, so I went back to Delta state, got to actually, you know, like, First day back in classes, I'm in a studio hanging out with Norbert Putnam. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for those of you who don't know, Norbert Putnam was the bassist for Elvis Presley for a while. He worked in Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals. Uh, he helped start the program. But like started hearing about like U47s, U87s, mm-hmm. uh, uh, 421s. Uh, started hearing about all these really cool vintage dynamic and condenser mics. And... Uh, I'm bringing it back to the to the ribbon discussion Um, because you said something earlier that I wanted to get back to. This is this is my ADHD backtracking. (laughs) Um, Got really into those, but didn't have any ribbon mics in the studio at the time because it was Mm. still such a new program. Mm -hmm. And but we learned about them. And so you mentioned earlier, you're a chemistry guy. You're Mm -hmm. into materials. Um, Ribbon microphones are typically, you know, piece of aluminum suspended between magnets, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Are there other materials that ribbons can be done out of than aluminum? There, to my knowledge, exists one. 
a single microphone that is uh it's kind of a unique one it's it's definitely worth checking out um they used to be by a brand called crowley and trip and then sure bought them and so okay. uh sure does have a ribbon mic i mean they don't really advertise it it doesn't get around very much but yeah i didn't uh, know they had one yeah, these two guys, they uh, they came up with a process, it, and it still uses aluminum. Honestly, uh-huh. I've looked at the patent, like, it's kind of a lamination of aluminum onto, like, super thin PET, so, like, the same plastic you make plastic bottles out of. Um, yeah. And so it's got this thinner layer of plastic in it, and uh, it's it's more durable, and they, they call it Roswellite, and they make it sound, like, super, you know, advanced and stuff <laughs> like, like that. Like Roswell, New Mexico? Yeah, I guess. Like... I don't know. They, they named that. That's their magic ribbon material. But, I mean, they and make it's, it it's out a good alien idea. alien space material. <laughs> but it is a good idea, but that is literally the only variation on aluminum that I, that I know about. And because huh. otherwise, um, aluminum is ideal because it is electrically conductive and light. <laughs> And so, okay. uh, you know, the whole ribbon thing is that, you know, the thinner that I mean, because the ribbon like these things are crazy thin, like don't think aluminum foil from your kitchen, like it right. turns to dust in your hands. Like when I install the ribbons, half the time I got to hold my breath like I, I, de- I de- uh, developed this technique where like if I exhale, you know, I kind of subconsciously direct it away from the ribbon because if you can <laughs> breathe wrong, like it, it kind of puffs everything up like it's, it's yeah. insanely light stuff it's super thin and uh so when metal's that thin like it's it can get fairly resistive you know so if you made that out of something that wasn't as conductive as as aluminum like you'd run into a problem there but then also like the basically like it's it's very advantageous to make it light and so a thicker ribbon doesn't sound as good as a thinner one thinner one's much harder to work with um yeah and so aluminum is kind of this material sweet spot but uh, but I have looked into other things because like that gets me going. There was even like a conductive polymer thing that I was researching at one point. Maybe oh, someday wow. they'll come around to that. Uh, that would be really cool. And and if ever there was a thin film rubberized conductive polymer that you could put in a ribbon mic, I think I'd be the guy to do it because uh, I have that background. Um, yes, yeah, but see, anyway, that's, why that's, I thought that's of this a rabbit because... trail. Yeah. Yeah, when you mentioned uh, your chemistry guy and your materials guy, I was like, oh, yeah, he's definitely had to have at least researched this topic. Oh, absolutely. As to whether or not there's yeah. some other material. Um, not that I, I don't I don't think we're in any danger of running out of aluminum anytime soon. Uh, as long <laughs> as everybody keeps recycling, please recycle, yeah. y'all. Um, but uh, I because of that, you just confirmed like all the things I'd always been told about how small and fragile mm-hmm. and yep. like the idea of is there anything else that would work that maybe wasn't quite as uh fragile as we're going into the holiday season um <laughs> uh that wouldn't just disintegrate because i have i've heard the horror stories and that's probably why i've avoided ribbon it's probably why a majority of the listeners of this podcast that have uh, yep. worked with microphones at all have avoided them yep yeah and ribbon makers tend to say hey you know treat it like you would treat a studio condenser microphone don't drop it you know and right. uh and don't please put don't it drop front- mics <laughs> and and don't put it in front of a kick drum and for the most part you know and use a pop filter you know mine you yeah. can use without a pop filter and i'm not even worried about it but yeah, i mean th- once you have one it's kind of like no it's okay and and some ribbons have even you know you can take drops sometimes and sometimes they bend and sometimes they don't um i'd say that their fragility because once they're inside the microphone, because it's a suspended yeah. 
bouncy thing. You know, it doesn't have a lot of weight to to jam itself with. You know what I mean? And so yeah, they are really fragile. Uh, the thing that they're susceptible to is air velocity. So it's not about something being loud. It's about air moving fast by them. And so they that's are... why the kick drum comment. Exactly. The kick drum is, is kind of the, the big one to remember. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they're not, you know, a lot of ribbon makers kind of say, Hey, don't be quite as worried as the reputation it has. But uh, I'd say the other thing is that like, you just got to have somebody, you got to know what the ribbon replacement cost is. And so that was a thing that I built in too, is that like, I'll replace my ribbons for 20 bucks because, and that's like, I'm not making any money on that, but I'm like, it's just going to be a product support relationship with people that have my mic. They have that guarantee that like, they don't, they're not scared that they're going to, you know, bend the ribbon. And then basically it's the cost of the mic to fix it, you know, like, so that's what I've stood on, but I have not yet had one bend and I have not had one returned yet for that reason. So, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So now that you're you're sort of established with making the ribbon mics, so do you have plans for other microphones? Or are you just gonna? Uh, I know you've got you've got two versions of your your ribbon mm-hmm. microphone. You've got the standard, and then you've got the one that I believe is an symmetrical or an asymmetrical. I'm getting this wrong. Yeah. So the the standard one is asymmetric, and and that's the okay. one that I sell more of those. I think it's more valuable to be versatile. So you can, mm-hmm. it's like designed to be a studio workhorse. You can use it on all sorts of things, but there are people out there who like, they want their ribbon microphone to be a figure eight. And it sounds the same on the both sides, you know, like yeah. they're using it for mid side or whatever else. And for those people, I make a version of the mic that, that sounds the same on the both, both sides. So I just call that yeah. the H44S. Uh, for symmetrical, but uh, so it's sense. it's kind of one mic, two versions. Um, as far as in the future, like I definitely have design ideas for ribbons, but it's just a balancing act of like how much time do I want to spend developing. I did have a crazy idea because I like this whole. I, I love the online community of music people. Like I love all yeah. the YouTube channels, the podcasts, and all that stuff. And I would kind of like to be more participatory in it you know like i would like to be more connected to to all of that and so i did have a crazy idea you can even tell me what you think about it um it might be a little wild and idealistic and impractical but i just thinking about this the other day well i am captain impractical so let's go (laughs) so uh i was literally thinking what if i did a community developed ribbon microphone and so I would do a YouTube series where I say, I'm, I'm designing a new ribbon microphone. And I'd say, here are three design choices. And I'd have three, three prototypes. And let's say they're, you know, three different lengths of ribbons, three different widths of ribbons yeah. or thicknesses or three different transformers or whatever. And I'd do demos of those three things and then get feedback from people on uh, what they thought and do a video series where over time... I developed the next ribbon microphone like in concert with with feedback and like brought people into the the development of it. That's I, I think it's a great idea. I think you get a lot of uh, a lot of input that way. Uh, you get a lot of you get more ears than just just yours. Again, it's like you said when you do when you build something, you create something. You're like you have that bias of yourself, and you're like, oh, I yeah. made this thing. It's great. It's so good. Um, but getting the extra ears, getting people who, um, you know, don't have as much emotionally invested in something, sure, is 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 sometimes a great idea. 
it just comes down to getting the sound samples, distributing them, because obviously you can't distribute the sound samples over YouTube because YouTube's audio is awful. Mm, yeah, um, that's a struggle. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's it's bad. Like guys, I know as someone who is starting again to demo things on YouTube, things don't sound on YouTube like they do in your house. Just just warning y'all. Just y'all know this. Um but I think that's a great idea to do. Uh, it it reminds me of and I'm trying to remember there was a build, a guitar builder that did a uh community feedback guitar build and I can't remember what it uh. was. And I'm real scared that it's I'm, that I'm remembering somebody who's now ostracized from the community. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I'm, I'm referencing someone who's been like uh, canceled, and uh, so so I I can't remember who it is. But they is did there, something like that. Is there any chance it's Driftwood? Driftwood guitars. I listen to that channel. He's acoustic builder, and then he built Ooh, like a, an electric. He built an electric for Rhett Scholl, uh, and yeah, I remember from acoustic that. Acoustic to uh, electric and whatnot. Um, yeah, it, and so, it might have been them, and if it's them, that's awesome. They are not ostracized. Yeah. They're good people. Um, I, but, I cannot remember off the top of my head. Um, I did want to mention, before we move on too far, we've we've referenced, referenced this a couple of times, and I've sort of taken it for granted that everybody knows what a figure eight is. So uh, sure. uh, for you for you YouTube ahead. viewers, you can see, here's, here's my cell phone, and a, a figure eight microphone is a microphone that picks up on both sides of the face of it, but not on the side sides, just on here, here. Uh, it's not omnidirectional. Just And so if you look at the pattern, it looks, oh, can I do this? It looks like a figure eight of what it picks up. Mm -hmm. um, so just so we, I, I don't want to assume anybody knows things. I've gotten in a lot of trouble for assuming people know things. <laughs> yeah, um, no, that's really good. Cause I mean, and I, I came up through all of this, you know, learning it yeah. whatever way I could. And figure eight mics made no sense to me when I was younger. Cause I thought that if you used a figure eight mic that you literally had to be in a recording situation where you like wanted to record a figure eight shaped audio source, <laughs> you know, like a group of people <laughs> over here and a group of people over here. Like why? That's weird. Like, why would you, and why so, would you ever do that? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> like, uh, so figure eight's this weird pattern. And the thing is you just, most of the time you use one side, you know, you're just, you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're recording a guitar amp. The, it just happens to be that the nature of a ribbon mic is, is naturally suited to figure eight. So it's just kind of a nature right. of the, the uh, physics of it. Um, but yeah, it doesn't, you don't need to use it for a figure eight. The other useful thing is that the, uh, they say the, what they call the null point. So the, the, the part that isn't picking up sound. Right rejects really well so the sides of a figure eight mic are quieter than the back of like a cardioid mic they're even quieter oh, that's intense that. yeah so they, they have really good rejection at the sides and so if you're ever in a situation where you've got like something really loud coming from a direction you can point the side of a of a ribbon or a figure eight towards that thing and that really helps with like separation and stuff which is probably why they are such a popular microphone for mid-side configuration. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, so, they're only uh, picking listen, up the sides and not the front. And yeah, go ahead. You yeah, can, you can explain mid-side if you want. Yeah, you get a you get a truer stereo image from it because it's um, so with mid-side listeners and and see if I can uh, do this correctly. Mid-side is a two microphone setup. Oh, well, at, at minimum, a two microphone setup. 
in which you have a microphone facing the sound source and another aligned so that it's rejecting the sound source, but picking up in a figure eight from the sides, basically acting as a room microphone and uh, engineers use it to produce a um, stereo image Mm -hmm. uh, of a sound. Um, And that's the super simplified version of it. It's really popular in miking good sounding rooms when you really want to get that sound of the room in your recording. Um, Or in, um, uh, it was, it was really, really popular for, this is when I used it the most, um, for uh, when I was in school for audio engineering, our, we, our role as, as engineers, we would go to all of the music department, which I was a dual major in music and audio engineering. So I did this a lot. We would go to the recitals and we would have to record all the recitals. And we did a lot of mid side configuration for those recitals to get the, the recital hall and the performer. Nice. Yeah. 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 So anyway, I digress. I wanted to explain that. Yeah. I got in, I get in trouble occasionally. I I get in trouble both ways for over explaining. People think I assume they don't know things. And then I get, then people get mad at me when, I don't explain it and they get mad because they assumed I, I assumed they knew things like yeah. I, I can't win here. I so I'm just going to explain things. That's what the internet does. Like you can't win always, but I think it really is good to explain. <laughs> Cause like, uh, like, uh, you know, here I am a ribbon mic guy. Like, Hey, I build these ribbon mics and whatnot, mm-hmm. but uh, Hey, I'm not a pro engineer. Like uh, that's something I struggle with. Like if I want to make a demo, I can't make a demo professionally myself as well as like a pro engineer would, would do with my mics and stuff yeah. like that. But, uh, you know, I came up all through this trying to learn it by hook or by crook as best as I could. And I was <laughs> I was the guy who didn't understand the podcast many times, you know, so like, I think that's great. Yeah, I, I for me, it's the uh, my at this point, my my audio engineering knowledge is is digressed because I don't use it every day doing the mm-hmm. podcast. I use it more, but mine becomes an issue of uh you know, I have my limited space. I have, I have this, this room, which is just Mm -hmm. a spare bedroom in my house. Um, my, my wife graciously has allotted me two spare bedrooms because I have this room and then I have another room that has like cases and some speaker (laughs) cabinets and some other stuff that's not being used, you know? And, um, so this is not a great sounding room one. Sure. Uh, uh, so I'm limited there. I can't crank as loud as I'd like to for things to actually get to that, like really um, my favorite amps, a super reverb and a mm. super reverb. I don't care what y'all say, excuse me. <laughs> I'm drinking, uh, drinking a diet soda and therefore I had to burp away from the microphone. <laughs> See, that's the inside baseball. You audio listeners don't get by not watching the videos on YouTube. You can <laughs> see it there. Um, but what happens is with a super reverb. Yeah. They sound good at three. They they don't sound bad, yeah. but they don't sound any better than a hot rod deluxe. Sure. You yep. know, they, they, they don't sound any better than any other amp at three. Now, if you get that super reverb to six and a half or seven, that thing is the voice of God. It's just there is no other amp that sounds better. Uh, I loved I loved hearing an interview with uh, Derek Trucks. And he talked about super his super reverb and his love of the super reverb. He said, "Yeah, but you got to get it to like seven. Mm, and uh, it was yep. interesting that he had the same same experience I had. And he, though he did say, although there's been some times where I've probably pushed it to ten, probably shouldn't have, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> but 
So I don't have the space here to do that. Um, uh, but you know, which I, is just tragic because you know yeah. with those amps. So uh, like I said, when I was back when I was younger, I was way more you know down the guitar rabbit hole, and uh-huh. I, I I was on the vintage amp thing. And yeah. uh, I remember I worked like all summer, my junior year of high school, and I'm like, I'm going to get myself a vintage amp. And I made this pilgrimage to Dave's Lacar- uh, Dave's guitar shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. I'm from Wisconsin, uh-huh. but it's a, it's a real nice big guitar store. And I had scoped out a 1975 twin reverb. 100 oh. watts, 2 by 12. <laughs> Heal <laughs> the paint like, off the walls. I'm putting this in my bedroom, you know. And uh, <laughs> so I, I spent I spent a good number of years learning how to uh, perfectly dial from 2 and a quarter to 2 and 3 eighths, which was a large, you know, difference there. Yeah. So I'm, my, I'm very familiar super. with that battle. Yeah, there's that jump in the super somewhere between 2 and a half and 3. Where it's it's a whisper, yep. and then it is an outright scream, yep. and I'm like, oh, and so there's no in between. Um, so it's it's still my favorite amp. There's nothing that replaces it. But yeah, have, um, you, have you tried an attenuator on it? I ha- so the hard part about an attenuator on a super reverb is that it's 2.1 ohms. Oh, is the output wow. on a super reverb. Okay, so yeah. um, I, I do have. I'm gonna I'm gonna. I'm going to shill for a product real quick. Um, (laughs) I have this specifically because I use a, I use a captor X it's, it's behind me over here um, to do recording because again, the pre spoken of limitations of my space. Um, Well, this is a Weber Z matcher. And this okay. is a passive device. It's hefty because it's got a massive transformer mm-hmm. in it. Um, may have a couple. Um, but it will take any any input ohm from your amp from 2, 2.6, 4, 5.3, 8, or 16. And it can output to a different ohm, to a different That's resistance. nice. Okay. A different impedance. And so it can take your... 2.1 ohm out amp and it can output eight ohms into my captor x nice which is great yeah here's here's the here so or i could take it and run it into an attenuator mm-hmm. yep it's also got a line out straight out of it nice so well, for that super that problem. sounds like the right right piece of gear it is, except here's the problem. If I want to run it back into the speakers of the Super Reverb, I need another attenuate, <laughs> another Z-matcher to take the now 8-ohm signal that has gone into the attenuator, attenuator. <laughs> to, to oh, match funny. it back to the 2.1-ohms yeah. that the yeah. speakers are expecting to see. And I, I only have one that. of these. Yeah. So. That would be a hilarious uh, setup. If you had oh, Z matcher yeah. and then like an attenuator, another Z matcher, that would that'd be hilarious. I, I told you I'm captain inconvenient here. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, th- this is a great product, though. If for those of you that love a super reverb and you want to be able to use it with a um, Captor X or a Oxbox or the tube amp expander by Boss. Uh, you need one of these. They're not terribly expensive. I don't know what they are now. Um I bought it from Weber. 
they built they build to order like there's not stock on their website so just email them there's almost never stock on their website um i i want to say it was like 130 bucks like it's not an expensive piece of gear it's totally worth it that probably makes sense it's heavy i mean it's uh it's probably just all transformers in there um yeah that's been a big i'm uh, I'm pretty sure that's all it is yeah that's been a big learning trail for me because to to do the microphones that's another thing that i did is that i did not want to buy an off-the-shelf transformer so i learned to wind and design transformers in the process of doing ribbon mic so i i make all the transformers myself that was going to be my next one you make all your own transformers yeah and the ribbon mic transformers are super high ratio and like the 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 (laughs) amount of design that needs to go into making a good one is yeah it's tough and uh it was a whole thing like uh i don't know if you want to hear about it but um the core that you make the material, the, the the wrap the windings around has to be a very specific material. Took me forever yeah. to figure that out. And when I was building them myself, I didn't have a winder, and I do tor- toroidal. You know, there's a better way to do yeah. it. It's a donut shape. Well, uh, I was winding them by hand, so I would take like you know a hundred foot of wire, wrap it around a credit card, <laughs> you know, a piece of a credit card, and then and then pass you know three hundred turns of wire around this little donut. That's how I built like my first ten microphones. And then uh, you know I looked up a winder and I I got a used one and I like I drove out to some like super sketchy like a used equipment place in Ohio, like after work one night at 7 PM and they didn't even know what they had. They like, we don't know how it works. We don't know what it is, you know, but I got a great deal on a toroidal transformer winder that, uh, lucky for me did actually work after some tweaking. Uh, but that, that, that's good. That was a learning adventure. I'll tell you. Hey, well, you know, it's interesting. So transformers are like this whole other world to me. Uh, so I listen to a podcast. You may listen to it as well. Do you listen to the truth about vintage amps? You know, um, I just started recently, actually. I just uh, listened to that for the first time, like two days ago. Okay. Well, uh, did you listen? Which episode did you, li- you listen to the most recent one? No, I did not. I went back. Okay. And, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell you to, to go forward to, so they just released this week as we're recording episode 103 uh okay go to episode 102 it's literally an entire episode on transformer winding oh that's my game right there like all right no yeah problem. they had a guy <laughs> i'm gonna i feel really bad i can't remember his name right now but he owns a transformer company he builds and winds transformers he'll do rewinds too although often he tells people it is not worth it mm-hmm. to rewind this transformer sure you just need a new transformer. Um, but yeah, he, he goes, he, I listened to it while doing yard work. Um, mm-hmm. it was, it was almost like total tech nerd ASMR. Like <laughs> I didn't ingest most of the tech speak that he was saying, cause sure. I did not understand it, but you seem like the kind of person that would understand the things he is saying. Oh yeah. I'd um, be right into that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a, it was a wild experience. Um, a lot of eyes glazing over um, for me. Uh, even Skip was like, this is way in the weeds for me. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so it's like, I, but I'm glad s- there are people out there. I'll, I'll say, oh, though, on the tech side, like as somebody that now, like I, I've gotten pretty confident in my my tech game. I actually did. Yeah. Um, I've gotten really deep into impedance and stuff like that. And I actually did 
like an 18 minute, I guess you can call it a lecture on impedance on my YouTube channel, just because I wanted to, because I, I, uh, oh, wow. because I, I, it was a topic I've never seen covered well. And I, I, I made mm-hmm. the video with like, I wish I had this video at 18 years old when I couldn't figure out what Bill Lawrence was saying. And so, yeah. uh, and so anyway, I made that video. I'm confident in like a lot of my tech knowledge, always learning more, but now being on a more confident side of that, there's a lot of product design that is essentially guess and check. I mean, you, you do all <laughs> the science, you do, you learn as much as you can. Well, then you go build stuff and you listen to it. I mean, it's a thousand ways not to make a light bulb. You know, it's Thomas Edison right. stuff. And I, I really think that the, the product design, the beauty of product design is both of those things married together. Like learn as much tech as you can, but there's some of this stuff that is not entirely explainable. Like I cannot tell you why I selected the number of wines I did on my transform. I can tell you the ratio, but like the inductance that I chose, it sounds different. And it's really hard to actually break that down. I just picked the one that sounded good. You know, and so it's like right. sometimes us tech guys can make you think that we know more than we do because really behind it, we just tried a bunch of stuff and and picked the best one. So, yeah, I've got I've got some listeners of this podcast who are sure that they can uh, they know who they are. They they, they know exactly <laughs> who they are. They are sure that they can uh, design mathematically all of the mm. circuits. And I'm just like, yeah, you you can. But then sometimes you've got to take that thing that looked mathematically perfect and go in and say, okay, it's so perfect it doesn't sound good. Now I need to make it imperfect. Why does yeah. this sound better? I don't know. Mathematically, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And it's, but it does. It, it's a good strategy, too. Like, I think some of the, I mean, like some of the best products are all happy accidents, you know? I think a lot of classic uh, things that got popular in, in guitars and amps and recording are things that people stumbled on. I mean, what's the what's sure. the story about uh, the first rock and roll song and Ike Turner and they broke down on the side of the road? I mean, these are where these brilliant things happen. Um, yeah. And so, Ike Turner's uh, amp fell out yeah. of the back of the car and yeah. they put it back when they put it back together. It distorted. It's funny because um, I so I'm from Clarksdale. You've listened to the podcast. Yeah. You've heard me mention that I've met Jackie Brinston, who sang Rocket 88. Oh, wow. Um, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, he was like a regular fixture in Clarksdale, where I'm from. I've actually played with Ike Turner's son. Um, uh, he's a piano player. He lives in, I think he lives in Oklahoma now, but he would come play the blues festival that I play every year. That's and so, awesome. uh, yeah, needed a guitar player for a gig. I was around. I was the guy who ended up playing, you know, it's real fun. Um, but it's those, it's those accidents. It's those things. Look at look at the uh, concept of distortion entirely. Just mm-hmm. period. It was never meant to happen. Yeah, it, absolutely. It was a design flaw. Unintentional effect of <laughs> tubes in a lot of cases. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and yet here it is. That's the thing we're all trying to get, unless yeah. we're playing like hardcore straight ahead jazz. Yeah. Um, and getting the, that classic no distortion sound. Even then. Y'all, please go back and listen to Charlie Christian and Wes Montgomery in some of those cooking tunes, some of the live stuff. They're getting distortion. Mm. It's not it's not in your face like we think of it, but there's definitely some upper harmonic thing going on in the way they attack the strings and really start to dig in. Um, I find it super fascinating. I love I love that. I love the tech side of it, but I don't like getting super techie. It's weird. It's a terrible way to look at it. I just like hearing about it and hearing how it influenced things and then hear the stories of the way people used it later. 
Like that's why I think we love the stories of Leo Fender and mm-hmm. uh, uh, Ted McCarty and uh, Seth Lover. It's why we love the stories of the way they develop stuff, even if we don't care about the science of why it works. Yeah, we just, you know, we just love the tinkerer. Oh yeah, and I think there's something specifically attractive about music gear. I mean, there's a reason that everybody's been talking about their gas, and and we all have this thing going on with acquisition of gear, and. I th- I think part of it is that like m- stuff that makes music it's honestly mm-hmm. just a really cool part of life because yeah. music is imperfect and so there's the music itself but then there's like using all these items to make m- make music you know like when the tubes distort and it did the unexpected thing and then we found kind of beauty in that is I think just inherently fascinating and kind of attractive um, and it's all over the place. It doesn't matter if you're talking about, you know, guitar amps or um, I'm actually like, t- you know, always tinkering and stuff like that. So currently I'm doing something a little crazy. I'm, I'm trying to build an acoustic guitar uh, for the first time. Oh, my my wife well knows then. me so well for my birthday. This is like the best birthday present ever. She uh, she said, you know, here's your birthday present. It's the phone number of a local luthier that has lessons and a budget. Go build an acoustic guitar. <laughs> I was That's like, awesome. It's a great present, you know? So I've been doing That's that fantastic. over here. Yeah, just, just uh, like, I've been loving it. And so now, like, I wouldn't have gotten into it unless she kind of, kind of, you know, edged me over the, the edge. But now yeah. I've been listening to all these acoustic design guys. Like I said, Driftwood Guitars is a nice channel. And, yeah, yeah, they and are. that's fascinating. Like the, the history of the radius of the top and the tuck braces. And like, I got deep into wood selection and all that stuff. And it's not, it's not because I need the perfect acoustic guitar sound. And I just am really snobby about acoustic guitar sound. It's because it's so cool to learn yeah. that this guy selected like this very specific cut of spruce from this 3000 year old tree. And then like it caused that sound like, that's just fun. Like it's a great thing. It's just interesting. To, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's very attractive. Like, and so everybody feels kind of bad about our our gear addiction, but I'm like, that's oh, a beautiful part of life. You know, it's a it's a beautiful thing to get to learn about. You know, I see. That's the reason I like I like microphones and like because to me, microphones are witchcraft. Like they're a little bit witchcraft. Wait, wait. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna use pieces of metal, magnets, and crystals to take sounds and reproduce them somewhere else. That is witchcraft. <laughs> you know, it's like the, the very concept of, um, so here I'm, I'm in Starkville, Mississippi. Most of my listeners know that if you don't, uh, we have a uh, Mississippi state university is here on, on here in Starkville. Uh, and in the library of Mississippi state university, they have the Templeton Victrola collection. And it's, this incredible assortment of old school and and I don't remember I'm gonna I'm gonna blanket call them all Victrolas. They're not all Victrola company. They're not all exactly that thing. Some of them are wax cylinders, some of them are shellac plates, some of them are metal plate. They read metal plates to reproduce sound. So I'm just I'm using a blanket term. But it is watching these devices work in a completely acoustic way Mm. you literally wind them up they use spring energy and a needle bouncing in a groove through a conical speaker that is no there's no power whatsoever and it's reproducing sound is the most is the eeriest 
and strangest and coolest <laughs> thing ever. And I think that's how we feel about most just producing music in general. It's yeah. magic. Well, a lot of the mics and recording and all it's, it is amazing that it works. Like we yeah. discovered that it works. It's like somebody figured this out and it's like, it's not, it, it's a natural phenomenon that we happen upon. It's not like nobody made it happen. It's, and so I just, right. I, I'm amazed that it does work as well as it yeah. does. Yeah. It's, and it's just, it's, and we find, and finding the joy in that, finding the joy in the gear it, that's just a fascinating thing to me. And actually I, I I'll, I'll leave. We'll, we'll close with this just cause uh, we want to get over into the Patreon episode. Hey, Patreon supporters. Thank you for your support. We're going to have some extra content for you. If you're not a Patreon supporter, please go to patreon.com slash 40 watt podcast. Okay. Look at that. Slipping that commercial in there. <laughs> um, it'll be just my luck. That'll be where uh, my hosting service also puts a commercial. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh I just listened to Corey Wong's podcast with Chris Thiele. Oh, okay. And I, I highly recommend it. They had one of the most joyful conversations mm. about just music and making music and just that excitement and that allure of playing with other musicians and being in the room. And, and they didn't get like way down the technical rabbit hole, which both of them could. Yeah. Both of them could get real technical about the music they create because both of them make very technical music in their own way, but they never did. They talked about the interaction of people and the joy and, and that, that magic of creating music in a room. And there was a point where they were talking about uh, different types of music festivals where it's a thing now with these mega festivals where they have stages that are way too close to each other and way too loud. And, mm. and Chris was talking about how he said, I'm an, you know, I'm an acoustic guy and there's like, we all gather around one microphone and it's everybody playing off of each other and, yeah. and interacting with each other as this, as this ensemble acting as a single musical instrument. And it's that same joy. And, and some people get it in the gear. Some people get it in the music. Some people get it in the performing of the music. Some people get it in all of it. Um, but I like what you said. It's like, I shouldn't feel bad about being excited about the gear because it is exciting. It's, it's interesting. And it's, it, there's there's a I don't know there's a magic to it I'm just going to keep using that term until yeah. Disney comes after me um <laughs> it's rewarding it's, there's a, it's rewarding to it learn. is very it's, rewarding it's just very satisfying it's a great interest to have it's, it's yeah yeah it's super it's super cool and we are living in the best time to be into it yeah uh, it was the best of times it's the worst of times too um if you're on a budget, it's the worst of times because <laughs> there's a lot, there's so much. Um, but we'll talk about that another time. Uh, Tyler, it's been great having you on, man. It's been it's been good to get this yeah, to happen. Th thank you so much for having me. I just uh, enjoy chatting. So thanks for thanks for hanging out. Absolutely. Well, uh, listeners, I want to take a moment to thank all of my Patreon supporters by name. You guys are rad. Um, I totally appreciate your support. Uh, Tyler, I'll apologize for one of those, these, but, um, uh, on, on this episode with you, uh, <laughs> uh, at the $10 level, which is the high wattage y'all, I'm real cheesy with the name of these levels. I promise. Um, high wattage level got Ben fair, got Dan Pilver of Lewitt audio, got Heath bat 
um, at the $5, which is the medium wattage level. Again, I'm real creative with these, these ranking levels. I've got Andy Koning. I've got David Ishizaka of the Timber Owls. Uh, Giacomo Ride. I've got Jeffrey Walks. Jim Burns. Kyle Harris. Rick Calhoun of Honey Picks. Scott Hamilton of the Effects Loop Podcast. And Tom Kelly. Thank you all for your support. You literally make this continue to happen and uh, make it so that I can keep paying for uh, Adobe where I process all this stuff. (laughs) I appreciate it. Uh, Until next time, y'all remember to be good to yourselves, be kind to each other, and make some noise. This episode is brought to you by the supporters of 40 Watt Podcast over on Patreon. Go over to patreon.com slash 40 Watt Podcast, where for as little as $3 per month, you can help support the podcast and get every episode ad-free. For $5 a month, you'll get every episode ad-free, as well as a bonus episode every week. I can't overstate how thankful I am for the support of my patrons, and hope you'll consider joining the team and helping keep this show on the road.